Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we talk about things that matter to our lives as followers of King Jesus. This is episode 13. I'm talking with Mark Harley, and we are talking about worldview, or more specifically, Christian worldview. And he's actually interviewing me. Uh, this is for an assignment for his recently started seminary program about, um, I guess, my worldview or my Christian worldview. Uh, he has several questions that he's asking, you know, what is the world? What's God's relationship to it? God's relationship to us and our role in the world, things like that. Uh, and then we also spend a little bit of time afterwards talking about, the, like, why does it matter? What's the importance of a worldview? How, what's the relationship between a worldview and culture? What should we be thinking about when it comes to the intersection of the Christian story and our specific cultural framework? So I uh, hope you enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Mark. and. Um, We've, we've done this before, but so instead of me asking you some questions, you're actually going to ask me some questions. So Mark, why don't, why don't you start by saying why you're going to be asking me questions? That's right. I'm interviewing Steve today. Uh, yeah. So many of you know that I uh, started seminary this semester and for, uh, yeah. So my first year at Northeastern Seminary over at Roberts Wesleyan in, just outside of Rochester. And for one of my courses, we are tasked with interviewing someone uh within uh, interviewing a church leader about uh their worldview so basically you're interviewing me because i'm an expert on the world because steve is steve's worldview is the superior worldview. <laughs> no it's <laughs> more like a like you're looking you're peering into the gas at the glass case at this interesting specimen that's right i like that that version of this this interview is better that's right the the real reason i picked i wanted to interview steve for some of these questions is uh I feel like I know how he might answer a lot of them, but there's some that I think it would be really interesting to hear how you would answer them. Right. And so if I'm interested in it, I think it'll be more interesting for everyone else in our church too. So should I take my, my tinfoil hat off? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the oh, tinfoil hat is coming off. I'm, if I I'm take watching. the hat off, then you might not get answers just from me. <laughs> that's right. They don't just listen to my thoughts, uh, Mark. They control them. That's right. So the, uh, the sort of like framework for the for this interview that we're that we're uh, tasked with doing is um, a class that I'm taking called "Being in the Story," which is um, mm. uh, a taught taught by this professor. His name's Richard Middleton. He's written a lot of of books on um, just kind of like what it means to be Christians in contemporary culture and what is our relationship to the culture around us. What are our obligations to create culture within you know a, a nation or a community? Uh, really, really interesting readings and th- and conversations I've been having about that. Um, so that's kind of the, the sort of background to, uh, to to this conversation. So I, we've got a couple of I've got about six sort of sections broken out here. Yep. Um, about our world, humanity, our calling as Christians, what redemption is, um, what sort of like changes or transformation. Right. We've talked about that word before as a church. Of like, what is how do we actually capture transformation and talk about that? Yes. And then this thing I feel like I hear you talk a lot about in our church, which is, is there a sacred and secular divide? You know? mm. So those are kind of like, that's kind of where this is going to go. Yeah. So if you're ready, I'm jumping in. Yeah, man. So that first section would just be like, what is our world, right? So the, the first question I have for you, Steve, is how would you describe the world in which we live? 
So there's the, I, there's like the theological answer. And I don't mean that as in like the proper answer, but I just mean like there's thinking about it through a theological lens or, um, uh, but then also just maybe like personally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think theologically, I would say that the world is, I mean, the, the shortest answer is it's a fundamentally good and beautiful place that has been tainted by the rebellion of human beings. Um, and yeah, that it's, it's an expression of God's creativity, God's abundance, God's majesty, God's, um, God's beauty. Yeah. So like the, all of that is imbued in, into the, the world, the, the universe, the creation by God, like elements of himself or his attributes are kind of like made into something other than him. Um, yeah, but then it's the, the, and, and I mean, I think all of that's so clearly still evident, you know, even in Mm -hmm. spite of the fall, in spite of brokenness, in spite of human sin and rebellion and the curse that there's still so much of that. That's, that's again, beauty and, um, wonder and diversity and activity and like all of that stuff is just available. And I think that, and maybe, so I think that that is a, an accurate theological answer, but also that probably points out a little bit of my own experience or personality or temperament and how I kind of like perceive or see the world. I mean, I think I tend to think of the world as a place of exploration probably. Um, and, uh, some of that, so, some of my most uh, formative childhood memories are, you know, so I grew up really rural. Um, and we, so we moved to Northern California when I was like, I was in third grade. So I was like seven or eight, whatever that was. And my brother was, he's two grades behind me. And um, uh, we lived, we lived pretty rural in Southern California too. We lived out in the desert, but then we moved up to Northern California. And that's where I spent the rest of my life until I went off to college. Mm. And, um, you know, like, so some of my most formative memories are me and my brother just like traipsing through the woods or dry Creek beds, or, you know, like sometimes through fields with cows in them and chasing the cows or getting chased by the cows, you know, stuff like that. Like that's, and definitely, you know, with the mountains off in the distance and, um, yeah. So like that's, that's, that probably colors quite a bit. My sense of like the world that we live in. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. I, I hear you talk a lot about Northern California as being like, Yes. picture is like yes when, you, when you're talking about like good creation yes it looks like that it's because of the mountains yeah really it's because of the mountains so we didn't live in the mountains we lived on the valley floor but you know from where i lived you could see uh probably four p i'm trying to think if there was a four three so two huge mountains so mount mount shasta is like fifteen thousand feet so it's massive mm. um mount lassen is like just shy of 11 mm. shasta bali is like seven or eight and then I guess we probably couldn't see Castle Craigs from from where I grew up most of the time, but those are all um, peaks with a tree line on them, you know. Um, and then foothills surrounding, you know what I mean. And so that experience of you know it's 120 degrees where I'm at, but you can see the snow right there, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that. That's that's a mountain to me. Not the Alleghenies. No. <laughs> no, those are not mountains. Those barely qualify as hills in my. <laughs> In my lexicon, I know I'm like insulting everybody who's from here, but (laughs) I can't help it. What is, uh, what's God's relationship to our world? 
Um, well, creator, right? So he made it. So he dreamt it up um, and then spoke it into existence. And I think he loves it. You know, he... So, man, this is from a, a Dallas Willard... Um, I'm trying to remember which book, but uh, he talks about how like when we, when, when philosophers or theologians talk about God being perfect, oftentimes we have this sense of like, almost like this cosmic, you know, like buzzkill, like he's perfect and it's just no fun to be in his presence because, (laughs) but that like, that's not what perfection means at all. And that like, as much as God is perfect in righteousness, he's also perfect in joy. He's perfect. in and that like, and then he gives this example specifically of how, you know, like really, really, really rich and powerful people will spend like $10,000 to have like a, you know, like a few tropical fish in like a, a tank in their office. Mm. And they'll just stare at them to like kind of get out of the monotony of their, their work day and just be captivated by, you know, these three fish that they spent eight grand on or whatever. <laughs> but that God literally gets to observe every single one of the fish that exist in the sea all day, every day. And that like, we don't get to see any of that. And God is like, <laughs> kind of like God is captivated by the beauty of his own creation. You know what I mean? And God gets to like observe black holes and nebulae and all that, you know, like, and, and, you know, particles that we haven't even discovered yet. And, you know, like he, he, so I think like to say that, like he loves it. Um, and I mean, obviously I think the pinnacle of God's creation is human beings. Um, and that God loves, loves us as well. Um, I, I would dare to say, I think it's accurate to say he loves us more, but he does, but he loves the world that he's made. Yeah. Yeah. And probably grieves over its brokenness. And I mean, not probably he grieves over its brokenness and has labored to redeem it. Yeah. That gets into our, the, his relationship with us in this sort of like this second section of our interview, which would be the humanity portion. Right. So like, you know, we're, what does he do with us? Right. Like what is, uh, what is his relationship with us? We know from Genesis that it's, you know, we're a special yeah. Part of creation. So what is What is your understanding of the purpose of human beings? So I, um, I love the way, uh, N.T. Wright kind of explains the human function. And this is where, so I think it is fair to say that God, I don't know if it's fair to say God loves us more than the rest of creation, but God's relationship to human beings is different from his relationship to the rest of creation, precisely because human beings relationship to the rest of creation is different from any other aspect of creation. So we relate to creation differently than monkeys do or mountains do or stars mm-hmm. do or fish do. We have a different kind of relationship to all of the rest of the world. And we relate to God differently than all of the rest of creation does. And what N.T. Wright says is that human beings are like an angled mirror set on the earth and that we're angled in the sense that we, um, so, so, Really, there's there's twin purposes that human beings were made for. We're made really for worship and for work. And um, that worship looks like us offering to God our esteem of who he is and our appreciation of who he is. But even more so, we function like angled mirrors in that we're capturing all of the praise of the entire creation and offering it to God. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, so like monkeys and mountains can't praise God, but we can we can somehow capture the way in which they reflect God's glory on their behalf and offer it to him. Right. And that that's, that is one half of the human vocation. And just like we do that as angled mirrors, also 
So God exercises authority over the earth, not directly, but indirectly through us, right? And so God is the one who um, has has made and, and intends to care for the earth. But the way in which he intends to do that is by making human beings and say, you care for the earth on my behalf. So you exercise authority and stewardship over the earth as, as my, my people, mm-hmm. my representatives. And that, so again, like there's that angled mirror of like God pouring down and us dispersing that goodness to the world. Um, at least that's how it was intended to be. Mm-hmm. But that all has been disrupted by, by rebellion and the, and the fruits of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> this kind of answers that sort of second part of the question, uh, which is, so I don't know if you want to elaborate more here too on that idea of the angled mirror, but, um, you know, sort of that, that why, like, why are we here? You know, that, that sort of big question, like, what are we actually created for? What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. Work and worship. But I mean that, so first of all, I think those things, when you truly understand work and worship, they become pretty compelling in and of themselves. But (laughs) for some people, depending on how you define them, work can be like, you know, drudgery and worship can be drudgery. You know, like I've heard people say, wait, so what you're pre what you're selling me is that I'm going to be in a church service for eternity. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know? So like this idea of like worshiping God forever, it's like, Oh my gosh, church music is so bad. I got to sing it forever. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> I got to listen to that guy sing forever. Um, but I think like when we have a, a better sense of like what, so obviously we can worship God through music in a church service. Like that is an, an aspect of what worship is or a mode of worship. But worship really is about seeing God to the degree that we're able as he truly, truly is. And that creating in us like a genuine appreciation for his worth and then like responding holistically to that that's worship. And you know, if you've had that experience, like what I just described, if you've ever had that experience, you're like, Oh yeah, that's pretty meaningful. Like that feels like something that's worth doing to me. Um, like I would value that and would set aside time to do that. Uh, and then the same, you know, on the flip side, when it comes to work, you know, when it's like, well, I do this because, my boss tells me I have to, and if I don't do it, he fires me and there's not, no other way for me to eat. And it's like, okay, well, if that's work, yeah, like that, Right. <laughs> I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. But if work is, you know, I take like my body and my energy and my skill and I use it to make the world a better place in some small way or some big way for myself and for other people in ways that line up with God's vision of what he wants the world to look like. It's like, Oh yeah, that's pretty compelling. Like I, I would do that even if you didn't pay me, you know what I mean? And that, so I think that's what, that's the human vocation is those two things. Hmm. That's good. If so now we're sort of like moving into the the third section here, which is that idea of like the Christian calling, right? So there's the human vocation and then there's this kind of, mm-hmm. you know, other layer to it now. Where right. It's like, um, so like what is your understanding of the Christian calling and more specifically, like what is your understanding of Christian ministry and service? Well, so my understanding of scripture and, um, yeah, my understanding of scripture, particularly the New Testament, is the idea of calling is not actually something that, like, you would you would have to think of almost like two tiers of calling. Mm-hmm. Um, there is like the, 
well, actually three. So the first would just be like that basic human vocation to work in worship, right? But then when you start talking about as Christians, so now you're talking about the human vocation in light of human brokenness and God's response to human brokenness in the calling of the nation of Israel and the coming of Jesus and the crucifixion. And, and then, you know, as Christians, we live in the age after that, right? So there's this initial calling to just be human beings who worship God and, and work in the world on, on his behalf. But then this Christian vocation that is is more general, it's for all Christians, mm-hmm. is a call to enter into the redemptive work of God. And that's both, so, so when I say redemptive work, that's like, there was this beautiful thing that got broken, but now God is restoring it. And that that's, that's like a second calling that layers on top of that original human vocation. And so I think that that is first and foremost, a call for us to participate in at least give assent to our own redemption and our own restoration in our own relationship with God through the work of Christ on the cross. Um, but that that goes into also like our, you know, like participating in the restoration of our relationships to other human beings, our, you know, our own sense of self-worth, our relationship to the created world around us that, um, and, and, and even to be like, as a part of that would be like the call to evangelism, to mission, right. To like explicitly that like gospel centered, um, Hey, come and be, you know, come and join in this redemptive work, that invitation. So I think that's that kind of like general, call that you see in scripture where scripture talks about all are called. And there is this calling that is on all Christians to, uh, you know, enter into relationship with Christ and through that to enter into the, you know, the church's vocation to extend the invitation of the gospel to the whole world. But then beyond that, there would be maybe this, this third call. Um, and that would be like, in some ways it's just kind of like the, the, the specific expression of, those first two calls on you as an individual, you know, like, okay, so how, like, how do I live this out? How do I work and how do I participate in God's redemptive um, activity on the earth? And that's where, I mean, obviously I think scripture talks mostly about the call to ministry or to Mm -hmm. clergy or to, you know, that kind of a calling, but it does talk explicitly about other kinds of calls too, you know? Um, And so I think it would be wrong for us to think of, um, you know, like plumbing is not a calling and pastoring as a calling mm-hmm. or, you know, like artist is not a calling and worship leader is a calling. I think they're all callings, but, but the, the scriptures for obvious reasons is going to spend more time talking about the calling to ministry because it is unique in the sense that if you're called into ministry, you're called to the shepherding or the leadership of God's people as God's people. And mm-hmm. Like that is different than the role of an artist or the role of a plumber, even though I would say like they're all valuable for the community and for the work and to God. Um, but also like there is something there's, there's a, there is a difference about people who are saying, well, no, I'm like called to, I'm called to shepherd this kind of work and this, this people as God's people. And I think that's how I would talk about the call to, so like the, the word pastor in scripture doesn't necessarily mean what we mean when we use the word pastor. I would argue that the new Testament, that the word pastor, at least in the 21st century American context is the equivalent of the new Testament term elder, mm-hmm. right? Which is like people who are set apart for the leadership of the Christian community. And that the word pastor in the new Testament really refers to people with like a shepherding gift. They're people who are like 
loving and, um, you know, good, almost kind of like what we would think of more as like Christian counselors and small group leaders. You know what I mean? Like those people, like the people who like you show up and they love you really well and they care for you and they nurture you and they have maybe even like gifts of hospitality as well as, you know, like maybe gifts of teaching or something like that. But I think the like new Testament elders would also exercise gifts of, you know, like apostolic leadership and gifts of kind of like prophetic, you know, like, uh, like calling out to the church to be what it's called to be and evangelistic, uh, you know, kind of like advancing the church into the, the secular, the pagan culture. And Mm -hmm. those are equally roles in, in today's term, those are still pastoral roles. Um, even though they're not necessarily pastoral gifting. So that's all like kind of, I would lump into the, the new Testament model of the role of elder. Like you're going to have different kinds of elders, but they're all called by God and recognized mm-hmm. by the people and themselves to step into this place of providing leadership to, to God's people. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're already kind of talking a little bit about this, but the sort of two follow-up questions to that initial one about calling is that idea of like, who is like quote unquote called, right? And what are they called to? And then what sort of quote unquote ministry truly pleases God, right? So mm. you've already sort of like tapped those things, but if yeah. there's more that you want to say to say about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would just say, I think that, and you, 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 you said we were going to talk about the sacred secular divide. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of gets at that, that, um, it's unfortunate that we've done that, mm. um, that we've posited that kind of a division. Um, I don't think it, it exists in God's heart or God's mind, at least not that way. Um, and, um, so the idea that, well, so, and that's where like, even like when I talk about, you know, the elders of the new Testament church and say like, that's what we call pastors today. I would also say that there's a lot of people in the contemporary church today that we should identify as the elders or leaders of, of the church that that we don't because they don't use the title pastor. So like, for example, the, you know, the founder and CEO of Jericho community health center. Like that's a, that is one of the elders of the church in Buffalo. Like, and if you don't recognize that you're just, you're not thinking straight, you know what (laughs) I mean? Even though like that his role is not as the quote unquote pastor of a local congregation. So you have people like that too, that are, um, you know, like called to shepherd the life of God's people in our, in, and, and, and give direction to God's people as we engage in God's mission here in our, in our city, you know? Right. Um, and so I think part of the reason why we miss that is because we have, um, adopted some like less than biblical paradigms. Some of that is explicitly around sacred secular. Some of that's other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's probably all I would add. I mean, yeah. we could talk for a long time about some of that stuff, but for, for today, that's probably enough. That's good. <laughs> as someone, as the person who's going to have to transcribe this I know, right? interview, you're going to have to type all of this. It's going to take several hours to type all of this out. <laughs> I feel bad for you. No, it's good. It's good stuff. No, really, I feel um, bad for you. <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to like transcribe a, a conversation like this. A million dollars? That's not worth it. It's I'll have printed it. copies available for everyone at church listening to this. <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about redemption right? okay, or salvation, right? If you want to use that word. Sure. Um, what is the purpose or goal of salvation or redemption in Christ? Man, 
man, I'm, I guess there's a lot of ways you could answer that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe even just at one level, like the goal is to like make God happy. You know, he's like, man, this, I like, I made this and it's beautiful. And then I put these people in it and I love them and they really hurt themselves and each other and the world. And man, I just don't, I don't want to look at it that way anymore. So I've got to do something about it. So, I mean, I think that's one of the goals is for God to like, even just address his own, I guess, like heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's part of it. So that's one way of answering the question. I mean, I think God also loves us for our own sake and doesn't want to see us suffer. Um, and so like that's why he has wrought salvation and is working out redemption for us and in us and through us to the world as a whole. So that's also kind of like one of the goals. I don't know if that's exactly the way you're asking the question. Yeah. So like specifically thinking through the lens of like, what are we saved from? Right. Yeah. What are we saved to or for? Yeah. Right. And then what's that final sort of like destination? Like, gotcha. Right? Like where are we yeah, headed yeah. towards? Yep. So I think what we're saved from. So, so sin in scripture, it's, I mean, there's actually a lot of different words, both in the old Testament and the new Testament that get translated into the English word sin. Um, which I mean, it'd be, I think there's like 30 of them, something crazy like that a lot. Mm. Um, I could have the number wrong, but I know it's, it's way more than two. Um, which is interesting to, to kind of explore, but kind of like the two big ways that I see scripture talking about sin is, um, so sin is clearly rebellion, right? Which is like me shaking my fist at God and telling him he can't tell me what to do and I'm going to do it my way. Right. And so that's clearly one of the ways that scripture talks about sin but then sin also gets talked about as, as though it's a curse. It's like, it's not something we did to ourselves. It's something that happened to us, right? It's like this disease or it's this, like, there's this sense of like, oh man, I'm like trying to do right and I can't. And like that whole way of thinking about sin too. And, and I mean, clearly it's both, you know what I mean? Um, it's something that we both participate in actively and we choose it. Yeah. And also it's something that we can't stop and and it happens to us. It's both of those things. Right. And so that, you know, it's like this corruption of who we are. Like we're, we are not what we could be. We are not what we were intended to be. We, and, and that it's a degradation. It's uh, painful. It's shameful. It's, you know, it's all of those things. And, um, and it could be permanent, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it could get worse. And, and, and like that process of like de- of the degradation of human beings could get to the point where it's irreversible. And you know what I mean? Like, it, like it just keeps going worse and worse and worse and worse. And so yeah. like that, that's what we're being, like, I think the, the biblical word for that is hell. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's not just one person. It's like communities of people that are spiraling into oblivion together, pulling each other down. Right. That's, yeah. that's what God is saving us from. Um, is that experience of like corruption and rebellion that like is this nasty feedback loop and then we interact with each other and do that to each other and you know yeah so that's that's what God is saving us from and then I think what God is um, save, saving us to right mm-hmm. was the question yep or for or for yeah is um, man it's the opposite it's like the so there is in some ways, you know, the future state that God has for us 
is in many ways to be likened to like God's original um, intent for human beings, but it's also different. Like God has, uh, I had a fun conversation with some friends about this that, wait, so is like the future grace better than the original creation? And it's like, I think actually you'd have to say that it is. Well, wait a minute. So then did God like create sin on purpose so that he could make something better than he could have without sin? I, I don't think that's the way I would say that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but the reality is, is that, yes, like God made a world and created a world in which the possibility of rebellion, like in which that was possible, um, knowing that he could do what, what only he can do. And so what we're saved to is, um, yeah, it's so it's like a, a redeemed and restored relationship with God, but that's, So God is like the source of all life and beauty and God, God possesses all truth. And for us to have a relationship with that being where we're not afraid <laughs> and not wanting to hide, all right. well, that sounds like pretty important, you know what I mean? And pretty significant. And that's something that God is saving us to for us to have relationships with each other where, um, like I'm not using you for my ends that are independent of, you know, what's good for you. You're not attempting to like manipulate or control or, you know, and I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like for mm -hmm. us to enter into like genuinely loving relationships with each other where, you know, we, we are committed to what's best for each other, enjoy each other's company, you yeah. know, like, it's like, man, that's, that's a part of what we're being saved to for us to have like honor instead of shame. You know what I mean? To be people who are like, yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything to hide. Um, the things that are in the deepest recesses of my soul are things that could be brought out and celebrated. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's yeah. something that we're being saved to. And, uh, even, you know, like our, our relationship to the world around us, you know, it's not something to be feared. It's not something to be exploited. It's actually, you know, uh, a home to be enjoyed and celebrated and cultivated and, and cherished. Yeah. Like that. And that's, and, and that's actually something that God is saving. Like all of that is what God is saving us to, uh, forever hmm. without end. That's the the destiny. Is that how you, do, where you would describe our our destination? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. The, it's a the you know the new creation, and yeah, like a, a one fun thing. This is totally channeling into right. But um, Paul talks in Second Corinthians fifteen, like the kind of some of the resurrection stuff. Um, and I'm like totally paraphrasing what he says and extrapolating. But he talks about how. Um, you know, like when you look at a seed, you couldn't necessarily tell what's going to grow from it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you look at a tomato seed, you wouldn't have no idea. Uh, like you couldn't envision a tomato, you know, right. or a tomato plant. Um, nonetheless, that's what grows out of that seed. Right. Um, and that uh, like that's that is like our relationship, like our current the relationship of our current bodies to our resurrection bodies. And I always love that. I'm like, what kind of a plant is going to grow from Mark Harley? You know, what right. I mean? like, what is that going to look like? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and work and worship will continue. Yeah. We will have purpose. We will have work and we will have worship, the continued appreciation of that, which is ultimately valuable, which is in God will continue.
It will be better. Won't be difficult. Yeah, like the 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 worship leader will never pick a song you don't like, and um, that one person will never clap often. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure worship will be musical in heaven, but I would imagine it will be lots of other things too. Mm. You'll never have to sit through the same chorus more than once, <laughs> or you can sing the same chorus over and over. I guess we're gonna have to have two different heavens. <laughs> oh man, what sort of? Uh... Let's talk about changes. Mm. What sort of public changes, if any, right, should be evident in the life of someone who knows Christ, right? And like, if there are changes, should they be in their work life and their choice of career and how they care about others and their broader engagement with our culture? <laughs> Can I just say yes? Yeah. <laughs> That's the answer. Just one word. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're like, yeah, Steve, can you answer this question with one word? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the follow-up would be like, like why, you know, like why should change happen or why does change happen? Yeah. I mean, Jesus talks about the, like the tree and its fruit, you know, and he uses that metaphor in other places and, and different kinds of metaphors that point at the same reality, but just that, you know, it, so it just, it, what it acknowledges that the way human beings work is that our behavior is the manifestation of like internal states, internal desires, internal, uh, drives, you know, like that's how we work. Is there something inside of us that you can't necessarily see? Sometimes we can't even, we're not even totally cognizant of how it works ourselves as individuals. And that's what drives the way that we act. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, God's like God isn't actually just interested in touching the inner part. Like he really does want to transform all of it, you know? So he does care about our behavior sometimes as, as like in certain corners of the church, we, we can almost talk like behavior doesn't matter. Um, God actually cares about our behavior a ton. He just knows enough about how we're wired to know that like forcing changed behavior without addressing the internal reality doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but if you change the inside, it actually does end up affecting behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so the behavior isn't, isn't irrelevant, but it's also not exact. Like that's not exactly what God is looking to do. What he's looking to do is to um, create change in us that is permanent and lasting and holistic. And that starts with, I mean, I would argue the, the, the place where human beings, well, and this is where we get back to that, like definition of sin is both rebellion and curse. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of, a lot of free will is illusory, not all of it. Um, but a lot of it is like how much of our act actions in life are determined by our genes, by our upbringing, by the culture we live in a lot of it, not mm -hmm. all of it, but a lot of it. Yeah. And I think the part that we have the most direct control over as human beings is like, do, will I live for God or not? Yeah. Right. And so, and then when we begin to exercise that one place of human freedom that we have the most control over at the deepest part of who we are, when we begin to exercise that in a way that, that points us towards God, then that actually makes us more human, more free that our capacity for free will grows um, if we reject God, if we exercise our free will in that way, it corrupts us, it corrupts our freedom. It, you know what I mean? And so like, I think that that's, so again, that's where like the gospel at its core is about the, the penetration of God's, um, goodness to that place of saying like, no, like, don't reject me, embrace me. Um, let me address the problem of sin in your life. Mm. 
and in the world. And if we do that, that actually begins to change the things that we care about, how we think, what we desire, which begins to change the way we relate to each other and the way that we act, which affects our work life and yep. our marriages and our how we spend money, how we eat food, how we drive cars, whatever. Yep, that's a that's like the perfect transition point to this point where I said we were going, which is that sacred and secular divide, right? mm-hmm. which is like this sort of last section of this uh, interview here. And yeah, just like in general, how would you describe your understanding of that relationship between sacred and secular? Yeah, so that I mean, I would say that the sacred secular divide is false. Um, this is not to say that there aren't things in the universe that aren't like don't exist in a binary, just that's a bad one, you know? Mm -hmm. So like there's godly and ungodly for sure. Mm. Um, but the idea of sacred secular, the way, you know, the way I understand that and the way most people think about that is that there are certain kinds of things that are like the holy things. And then there are like those other things that aren't. And typically, you know, so in this, this translates to every, so there are the holy jobs and the unholy jobs and there are the, Mm -hmm. You know, the whole, and I mean, again, it's not like, you know, I'm not saying, well, sure, you can be a godly drug dealer, although maybe you could, maybe you could work for like (laughs) big pharma in a godly way. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, but, but again, like clearly there are certain, like if your task is like murdering children and that's your job, that's not a godly task. You know what I mean? Like there are things that we can say, no, that's ungodly, but it's not like plumbing is right. You know, it's secular. So it doesn't matter to God. And pastoring, ah, that's like one of the good, that's, that's the good stuff, you know, because, well, how, you're a pastor, how much of what we do every day is like (laughs) mundane and, you know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that there aren't also, so it's, it's just, the world doesn't divide up that way into like, you know, the, the sacred and the secular tasks and the, you know, like, well, God doesn't care about me doing the dishes. He cares about me reading my Bible. Right. And it's like, well, what if in the Bible that you think he cares about you reading, he tells you to go do your dishes as an act of service to your wife, then does it matter? You know? And what if you're reading your Bible so that you don't have to help your wife with the dishes, <laughs> then does it matter? And you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's just not how it works. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that, that, that is so deep in our thinking that it's like, oh yeah, the dishes, that's not godly or that's not sacred. That's not holy. Whereas, you know, reading my Bible or going to church or, or whatever, that's the Holy stuff. And that gets translated into, you know, this is how, like, this is, these are sacred clothes and these are secular clothes. And, you know, and, and we lose sight of the, like the sacramental nature of the world that we live in, Mm -hmm. you know, and the tasks that we can be invited to participate in. I mean, there, there is, and I, when I say sacramental, like, God is present in tasks that might otherwise be thought of as secular or, or not sacred, but he's present in them, not necessarily because of what the task is, but, you know, because of who we are in it or what we are attempting to accomplish by it or, you know what I mean? So like, again, the act of doing dishes can be a profoundly sacred thing. Um, you know, if I'm going to be honest for me, that's rare, (laughs) but it has happened. You know what I mean? For sure it's happened. So there are other, um, quote unquote secular tasks that for me are more likely to be sacred. Yeah. Hmm. So that, those are my, my big 
six questions that I had, but I would be curious, um, since we do have, you know, a little bit more time, if you you wanted to talk about this, just kind of, you know, how, how does some of this, how do you see some of this applying to our community, right? Like, how do you see, um, Mm. like our church's worldview, either, you know, like shaping culture, being shaped by culture, or even like that idea of like how we see the sacred and secular being played out yes. in people's lives. So when, yeah, I feel like, and this was where I was curious when you, when you said, Hey, I got to interview you about your worldview. I was like, Hmm, like, are we going to be talking about my dad or my politics or like, what are we yeah. talking about here? Right. Yeah. Um, because I think like when you start thinking about worldview, mm-hmm. so what I, I, hopefully what I just articulated over the last half hour is a fairly orthodox Christian worldview. Um, yeah. And when I, like it, I think that there, there's a lot of room, there's breadth within the orthodox Christian position for lots of different nuances around how we can answer those questions you asked. But again, hopefully like i yeah, I'm in the big tent. You know, I I, I am. I mean, that's what I'm aiming for. I'm right. pretty sure that I am, based on my understanding of church history. You know what I mean? But but um, but there's more to worldview than just those questions because mm-hmm. you know we we do participate in a culture that speaks to all sorts of things. You know what I mean? Like you know, like like none of those questions got at like, well, what kind of food do you eat or what kind of clothes do you wear or what kinds of work are available to you in this society and how does economics work and what about politics and, you know, what do you do for fun? And, you know, like, like the, which that's all also like baked into really like how, how we see the world as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think as Christians, what, what, what we should be doing is we should be um, weighing, I think, uh, or discerning the, the things that we see going on in our culture and the, both, both the messages and the patterns and the, that, you know, that, that drive life for us here. And now we should be attempting to weigh that against the broader picture of the, of the Christian story. And, the belief about the world that God has made and God's activity in it and God's invitation to us in it and his promises for it. And then, you know, like there are going to be aspects of, you know, like the way my parents raised me or the kinds of politics that I have both picked up from the culture and then chose chosen for myself or, you know, the kinds of activities, leisure or work or whatever that I've given myself to like, okay, well, how does that all fit into this story? Does it? Does it not? Are there things I have to reject? Are there things that are in tension with each other or, you know, like, I'm, and so that task of like exegeting our culture so that we understand it and then being discerning about how we relate to those different parts of the world that we live in, in light of this, the, the, the larger truths that we believe about the world and God and us. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Right. Yeah, totally. A completely never ending. And I would add communal process and biblical process and spirit led process. Like those are all. So, you know, like we, the, the proper, the proper tool for discerning God's will is a community of people engaging with the book that God gave us empowered by the spirit of God, right? Like all of those pieces are necessary for us to 
have any hope of answering the question, what does God want us to do with our lives? You know what I mean? Like we're not, yeah. you're not going to figure that out on your own. You're not going to figure that out without scripture. You're not going to figure that out without the spirit. Like these are, these are the tools that God has given us and we need to lean into them so that we can be faithful, particularly yeah. within the context of something as so oppressively powerful as a culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> any culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so for, for one of my, another class that I'm taking in school right now is called pastoral formation. Mm. It's just, we're reading basically like everything from like, I'm, I'm sitting here with a book next with, uh, next to you here with a book of, uh, St. Gregory, the great's book of pastoral rule. Right. From like, uh, what was that from the sixth century? Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're just kind of like tapping, the history of what is this thing to be a pastor, right? And so part of it was tell us your, like I think it was the first or second week, it was, you know, talk about your calling or talk about your like vocational narrative, I think is what we called it. And that was my answer. Like I I was kind of, uh, it does not everyone, but a lot of people had this kind of like moment, right? Where it's like, yeah. God called me into this thing. Um, and my process and you and I have talked a lot about this, but my, my process has been very different from that. It's been probably like a decade of just like being responsive to what God wants to do in my life and being open for adventure, right? Being open for what's the word you use exploration, Mm -hmm. right? And just like, what that meant for me was that I spent some time as an artist. I've been some time as working at an art gallery or an art museum. I spent some time working on a farm. I spent some time working in a restaurant. Like I just did all these different things, right. As a grocer. Uh, and then finally felt this kind of like invitation, like here at our church to step into this, into this role. And it was cool to see how looking back all those pieces right. are now really helpful in, in me being a pastor at this church, you know? Um, and yeah, just, I think, how do you, how do you articulate that to people in our church? You know, like sometimes like this process is like, and it's related to the idea of sacred and secular too, where I think sometimes maybe we're looking for this sacred moment, right? We're like, like our burning bush moment, you know, like where like your whole life takes this drastically different direction, but sometimes that's not how God's working in your life. Right. It's like, right. Sometimes it's this, like just paying attention to these small details and being open for, I don't know, the adventure of it. Yep. No, for (laughs) sure. The mundane. Yes. I mean, I think all that's important. It, it's like, um, well, so to use, the, you know, you, you reference the burning bush and Moses and like, clearly that was pretty pivotal in his life. Yeah. Right? right. So that was important. But I would argue that the, however many decades he spent, you know, like chasing sheep in the desert <laughs> was probably pretty important too. You know right. what I mean? And not in the same way. Right. Um, but also important. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, like all of that was a part of, you know, it's like, <laughs> 
like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you cook meat, you're like, all right, I'm going to stick it in the fridge in this soup of marination for like a couple of weeks. And then, <laughs> then I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to sear it. And then I'm going to put it in the oven and slow cook it. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, so like that, that moment of searing was like the burning bush. It's yeah, like, that's good. but he was like marinating in the desert for a few decades before that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and then he went into the slow cooker in Egypt. You know what I mean? So like there's a, it's good. Right. I, I don't know. Like I, and, and you wouldn't say, you know, what's the most important part of like creating a really good piece of meat? Like, well, all of that matters. Yeah. And, um, and I think we should be certainly like, well, so this is the thing. I don't think you can ignore burning, but like it takes a lot of work to ignore a burning bush. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? So like God is going to get our attention and there are moments in my life where it's like, Oh, that was, that was a burning bush. That yeah. was, that was the, the framing hammer of God's righteousness. You know, what I mean? <laughs> right. it's like you couldn't forget, you couldn't ignore that if you were trying to. Right. But I think there's also that like, you know, um, Oh, I got to feed the sheep again. You know, Oh, we got to do it again and again mm-hmm. and again. And like, that's where maybe sometimes it's easier for us to miss God. Um, or how about the beauty that, uh, I'm just thinking about this now, but that, that, you know, that decades worth of, of being a shepherd, that's where God showed up. Yeah. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't like in some other context. It was him trying to chase that other sheep down. Yeah, for sure. And so that's, yeah, right. It's like, and, and I can't help but think that those experiences. So I know, you know, you talked about some of your different experiences uh, and I would say the same thing about mine, like mine are very different from yours, but I have, I have experiences that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think like, Oh, that translates into ministry or that translates into leadership or that translates into pastoring or preaching or whatever, but I can totally tell you how they do. And I'm sure, you know, you could talk about your experience as a grocer or an artist or whatever, and talk about how, Oh yeah. Like I, I, I learned things in those settings and maybe not even the things you would expect that now are a part of like my toolkit or my lenses for seeing the world that really helped me to do what God's calling me to do. Yeah, for sure. I think about you working at the cable company a lot. Yeah, right. Totally. I've seen the way you coil cables. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Only you can do it like that. <laughs> That's funny. It's impressive. Yeah. And I challenge anybody listening to this just to look at them the next time. <laughs> You'll, they'll see. They'll know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, that's funny. It's very impressive. Next time you're in the farmhouse, uh, take a look up in those rafters. There with those go. cables running from TVs. Uh, that's funny. It's good work. All right. I'm no, capable. I, I think of, about that a lot. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the, so that's that's obviously kind of like a direct. It's like, oh, I learned how to run cable, and then now I do that in some settings for the church. I mean, it's not like I run a lot of cable for the church, but um, but there's other things too. Like mm-hmm. I would say, um. You know, so like one of the things that I think working for the cable company helped me with was um, just getting to know the city really well. You know, so I came to Buffalo, didn't know it. And then literally spent, I don't know how many years, but, um, you know, several years just driving around every single, like I probably have been on every block of the (laughs) city of Buffalo. You know what I mean? Which there are plenty of people who have lived here their whole lives who wouldn't be able to say that. But I I did that in my first couple of years of Buffalo. So got a really good sense of the city which I didn't really think about that as part of like what I would get out of that. I was just like, I got, I got to eat, you know? Um, and that was good. And then also even like got to be in people's homes and get a sense for people, you know? So like that was really helpful getting a sense of like different cultures and different neighborhoods and just people and what they were like. And, 
how they, you know, sometimes I would get to talk to people about my faith or about church or about pastoring. And so I got a sense of like people's response to that too. Um, but also even I don't, I like, I, I haven't thought a ton about this in a while. Um, and some of this is healthy and some of it's unhealthy, but like my experience, so cable, it, most, um, contractors do what's called piecework. Mm. Um, so you don't get paid hourly, you get paid by the task really. So we would have, I don't know, it was probably like 15 or 20 different codes, um, that re- uh, referred to specific tasks. Yeah. So we would go out to a job and there was a couple of things we had to get done. And then it was like, oh, I had to do like these five different tasks at this job then I would submit the paperwork with those five tasks and then there would be like dollar amounts attached to each of those tasks. Right. So, um, so you, you, you could get, I mean, you could go to a job and put in like four hours and get paid five bucks. That is not fun. <laughs> um, but you could also go to a job and work for like a half hour and get paid 40 bucks too. You know what I mean? And so then it's like, so it created this really interesting like incentive dynamic with your work. Yeah. Some of which was really unhealthy, right? Yeah, sure. Cause it like, it incentivizes cutting corners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's like ways that I could, I've thought about how I'm, I'm like, man, like I spent several years doing that and I don't really like how that made me think about work or, you know what I mean? Like it, that wasn't good. Yeah. But then also like it really, I mean, it pushed me. I mean, I think I already had some of these tendencies anyway, but in the, the direction of like, um, I don't know, like it was kind of like a crash course in like really quick problem solving on the fly. You know what I mean? Like that's really what it was. And yeah. I know people like I have friends who are like really handy people, construction workers or whatever, who got into piecework, um, like who worked with me at the cable company and they couldn't do it because of that. It's like, they just didn't have the aptitude for that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, I, I'm actually pretty good at that, but I wouldn't have necessarily known that if I hadn't worked for the cable company. And I feel like that's something that probably I use more as a landlord fixing properties than I do as a pastor, but I do use it as a pastor too. Sure. You know what I mean? It is something that comes out and it's like, huh, who would have thought that like that would be something I'd learn as a cable guy that would actually have application to what I do as a pastor. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, even just the, uh, I feel something that I experienced and I'm sure that you feel this way too, just having worked in a bunch of different trades. Yeah. Right. That it just gives you this ability to connect with people. And also, I feel like one of the jobs that you have as a pastor at our church, right, is being able to translate this ancient story, Mm. right? Like if we're we're talking about like what you do on a Sunday morning, for instance, right? But also like in in your meetings with people who are Mm. like people are on this trying to figure out, okay, how do I be a better Christian in my life and in my work and um, being able to translate this like ancient story through like a contemporary lens of someone who's worked yeah. just like a mundane job or yep, like, or done work that's been hard, like physically difficult and dangerous and, um, has worked with all sorts of different people. You yep. know, I think that's super, like really, really important. No, I agree. And yeah. you and I have talked a lot about this, how like, that's not really something that, um, I mean, I'm not talking specifically about like the school that I'm in, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's not something seminary no. really talks about. No, I don't think, right? I think, yeah. I if anything, we're actually studying a different language, right? We're studying right. Hebrew, we're studying Greek, right? We're learning different languages instead of like the, our cultural language. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a tension that forms there. Right. No, I mean, I think that's where, 
I would sharply distinguish, you and I have talked about this before, but I would Mm -hmm. sharply distinguish between what a pastor does and what uh, like a theologian or an academic does. And, and both are not, neither is better. Like they're both absolutely essential. And, um, and there are people who do both too. You know what I mean? Who are both pastors and academics. Um, but I think that all, not all, like, cause your case in point where you're at, like there are plenty of seminaries that have, and probably this has probably always been true, but I know that there are a lot of newer seminaries that are attempting to gear their training more for pastors and less for academics. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I mean, the metaphor I like to use is there's a difference between, uh, you know, an architect and a carpenter. Right. And the architect needs to be able to understand how codes work and to, you know, under, like ha, ha, needs to be conversant with legislatures and all that kind of stuff. And then know how to like draw things really well. And, <laughs> and like a carpenter doesn't need to know any of that. He does need to be able to read the plans. Yeah. He needs to be able to inter- interact with the, can- the plans, but he doesn't have to create plans. Yeah. Um, and then what, but like the carpenter's expertise is taking the blueprints and turning them into a house or, right. you know, whatever. And like pastoral work is way more about, you know, like carpentry kind of work than architect kind of work. And whereas like, but, but they're dependent on each other. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a, there's an interface there. And so, you know, to be a pastor is to work with people and to lead and to, you know, be a part of helping people deal with trauma or questions or, or, you know, joys or, you know, like that's the work of a pastor. Whereas, you know, the work of an academic is texts and languages and, you know what I mean? And and so again, clearly like as a pastor, I have to be conversant with, you know, people like N.T. Wright who speak, I don't even know how many languages that guy can read the Bible. <laughs> you know, you can read the Bible in more languages than I even know exist. You know what I mean? You're like, well, all right. That's you mean cool. when you read the Bible, you don't make your own translations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. But, but so, but for me to have access to people like that who have more expertise in their pinky than I do when it comes to, you know, the textual theological kinds of things, linguistic yeah. things. Um, well, and N.T. writes a bad example because he is one of those pastor theologians. But there yeah. are plenty of theologians who, you know, they couldn't love a person if they walked through their door. You know what I mean? It's true. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not entirely true. But like they might not necessarily be able to. Well, I mean, there are plenty of great theologians who aren't great communicators or, you know yeah, what I right. mean? So it's like. Or they're excellent writers and they can't talk about it. Right. right. Yeah. That's and so that's where like it's just diff- they're just different roles. Yeah. That's where, um, I mean, I think that's kind of what we're talking about too, the, where so much of what we, what the work that we do, maybe like outside of the church even, right, is super important in forming like our, if, for us to have conversations about like worldview with people within the church too. Right. That, that there's this, uh, I don't know, like you, you, we have like the world's view right it's just like let's say like the culture of this world just like sort of developing on its own and then we have like our christian worldview that we're like now intersecting and it's like yeah. that work is like right in that space right like right, right in that tension yep yeah well and and i would say that there are lots of different christian worldviews too like there's mm-hmm. the kind of broad like you know hopefully the answers that i gave are broad enough to be more you know, more applicable in lots of different settings, but that there, like when you start talking about, well, what does it look like to be Christian in, you know, first century Palestine versus 21st century America versus 15th century, you know, Eritrea or whatever. It's like, 
yeah, these are, they're going to look very different, but there's still that like broad overarching kind of superstructure uh, of like what we believe about scripture and God and, and who, you know, who he's made us to be, but then how that looks in terms of, you know, what you do from your day to day, it, it does look very different in different places. And so it's kind of beautiful in that way. Yeah. It's, it's very, very complex and yes. diverse. Yes. That's a good thing. Yeah. Is there anything that you would add to to this idea of worldviews for, uh, before we wrap this up, anything that you feel like we should have talked about or didn't talk about or that you think is, I think that there's like, I don't know if why, if we should actually get into this, but I think that there's some like interesting ways that we could talk about, um, because there's a lot of competing worldviews out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I'm not even necessarily thinking of like, you know, Oh, what the Muslims believe or, you know, like that's not necessarily what I'm thinking. Although that, that too. Sure. I was thinking more like even just in terms of like our own culture, what some of the competing worldviews are and, you know, so whether it's things like, I mean, I'm a big fan of science. I love science. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate what, both science has brought us just in terms of its fruit, but also like the methodology of science and the epistemology of science, I appreciate greatly. Um, but how does that intersect with a Christian worldview? Right. Right. Like that would, that would be a conversation worth having. And then when you start talking about, um, you know, like another, like this is something that's been really at the front of mind for me for a while, for the last few years, like politics and how, how much people's political affiliation uh, is their worldview mm-hmm. in ways that I think are scary. Um, but again, like how does that intersect with, um, you know, a Christian worldview? Yeah. Yeah. So. And then I would, one thing I would throw out there too is what is our sort of like posture with our worldview, right? Yeah. Like when we're, when we're engaging. Right one another like when we're engaging someone with a strictly scientific worldview right or strictly political worldview right how do we this kind of gets at i feel like a, the conversation you had with rebecca mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago yep like how do you interact with one another and i don't know pull a nacho libre <laughs> baptize them i haven't seen nacho not, libre. you haven't seen it yeah he has a friend who only believes in science so he baptizes him against, he, he, not even just against his will, he like sneaks up and baptizes him. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. So the Nacho Libre worldview. Yes. That's our approach. <laughs> A wrestler for Jesus. Yes. That's why you like that movie. Uh, I like that movie because uh, mostly Matt Kaufman and uh, Patrick Cruz like that movie forever. Right. For Five O's Farm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was funny the first time I saw it. It's way funnier now in like acted out memories from <laughs> friends who, I mean, I probably could recite the whole movie from memory just based on like thinking about stuff they've said over the years. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Mm. I think about you being a wrestler too sometimes. That's important. Yeah, no, I mean, those are like, there, there are things that have shaped my worldview like that. I mean, wrestling has had a profound impact on the way that I see the world Mm -hmm. completely independent of the actual sport itself. That's interesting. Right. And then, I mean, my dad and my mom too, but like my dad, I think my mom had much more of like a quiet influence on who I am. Yeah. Whereas my dad is this 
loud influence sure on who i am yeah but yeah those are things too that where it's and i mean we could talk about not just for steve but like yeah. for mark or for us like how are those those kinds of things how do they intersect with you know i mean like the like to talk about wrestling there are there are aspects of wrestling that i i think have that it's it's inculcated things in me that i think very much line up with god's heart who God is and who I think God wants me to be. Um, but then there are other things that have like a little bit more of like a, I'm like, I don't know if that's right or wrong, you know, but it's in me. Like, and I don't know what I think about that. I mean, so um, like some of the, um, like I, like sometimes I think about like, or I question some of the like competitive things, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I, I, like I'm not anti-competition. I think, I don't think God is either. Like I think there's, yeah particularly when it's like friendly, you know what I mean? Sure. And like the, people oftentimes talk about competition, like it's the opposite of cooperation. Mm. But if you think about it, it actually requires more cooperation to compete than it does to just co-op. Like we've got to agree on the rules and we've got to agree, you know, like we've yeah. like, there's a degree of cooperation that's really built into a wrestling match. Sure. You know, uh, it's not a, it's not a fight. It's not war at yeah. all. It's, it's, it's something else entirely. You An know? agreement on these kind of complex right. rules. Exactly. You know, so there, there's a high degree of cooperation built into that kind of competition. Um, and I think like, and that's play. And I think God loves play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that's fine. But then there are like ways that that like seeps into your mentality, especially like I was just talking about this with some guys at the gym. I've, I've met and hung around some like truly high level athletes in my past. Mm. Um, I think almost all within the sport of wrestling. Um, and when I say high level, I don't mean like, uh, you know, like state champion. I mean like competing for like Olympic championships and stuff, you know, where it's like they're, they're aiming at the pinnacle, you know, like Mm -hmm. the pinnacle where it's like, who's the best in the world, that guy. And they might not accomplish that, but that's what they're aiming at those people are nuts. Mm. <laughs> they really are nuts. Like they're the kind of people where you're like, okay, if you don't, if you hadn't discovered wrestling at the age of seven, you would be like the world's best drug dealer or something like that. You know what I mean? Just like to be the, the best, the world's biggest warlord or something. You know what I mean? You're like, this is like, I'm so glad that you're a baseball player. <laughs> Cause you would kill people for a living. You baseball know? players in particular. Right. <laughs> So I don't know, like there's, there's things, but it, but it definitely has shaped me mm. for sure. Yeah. Mm. That's interesting. I feel like we could talk about that for a long time. Yeah. How do we wrap this up? I don't know. I think we just say we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't do that. I don't know. Well, you could sing a song. I'm not going to sing. A song. <laughs> I think you should sing a song while nope. I laugh at you. Nope. All right. We won't do that. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So why don't you share something? What, um, <laughs> I wish I could capture that face. Yeah. <laughs> We're flying this plane and it's like, ah, uh, you land it. <laughs> no, you land it. I've never done that before. You've never landed the plane. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I guess, um, well, may, I'll ask you this question. How, um, and I mean, certainly you could respond about this interview mm-hmm. that we just had. Um, but I'm thinking more broadly, the, like the class and yeah. the assignment and, just the conversation about worldview, how um, significant or helpful is this to you as you think about what it means to be a pastor Mm. and why, and why? Yeah. Mm. 
I think it's um, it's helpful in the sense that uh, and I was talking to you a little bit about this before we started recording, but uh, the the sort of primary goal of the class that I'm in right now is, uh, which I said at the beginning, is called being in the story, right? And it's this sort of overarching, trying to sort of articulate the overarching narrative of scripture, right? And trying to identify the, like, where are we in the story? And like, what do we do? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of, you could sort of see that from some of these questions that we were tasked with asking somebody, you know, like, so as far as being like a new, like young pastor, I think it's really helpful in terms of not only thinking about where I, I where like Mark fits into the story of like, like, what is that? What is the story God's telling? Right. But like, and then where am I in it? But also in being able to actually give me some language to talk about it with people, you know, yeah. being able to sort of, I don't know, help people think through that, that first of all, just thinking through, um, you know, our, our sort of role as Christians as being a part of this bigger story is yeah. really helpful. <laughs> At least yeah. it has been for me. Um, and that's something that I think I've been working through much longer than this class, but it's giving me some, I feel like I, it's given me some language for things, feelings I had, but wasn't really able to articulate, you know? Yeah. So I think that's that's been important for me about that. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for doing the interview. Yep. I'll I'll give you the transcription. No. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you don't want the cliff notes? I um I mean you can you can email them to me and I will <sighs> s- just uh very quickly hit mm. hit archive. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. It's always fun chatting with you on here. Steve. Yeah, man, for sure. All right. All right. Thank you. Yep. Two Forty Two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church, in Buffalo, New York. You can learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening. <laughs>